You are listening to audio from New Life Foursquare. For more information about our church, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org. About 40 years ago, a man by the name of Stephen Scott was sitting at home. He, was, he had and discouraged because even though he had a degree in marketing, he had lost his ninth job in six years. He saw no future at all for himself. He had lost all hope of happiness, and so he asked a close friend of his for advice. And the friend's name was Gary Chapman, the same Gary Chapman who would later write the five love languages. But at that time, he was the associate pastor of a church in North Carolina. The advice that he gave Stephen Scott was this. He said, if you will start reading a chapter of Proverbs every day and start living your life and making your decisions based on what it says, I can guarantee you that in two years, you will be smarter than any boss you'll ever have. And if you do it for five years, I'm willing to predict that you can become a millionaire. Well, Stephen Scott took Gary Chapman's challenge and he began reading and learning and living the principles of the book of Proverbs and he did become quite financially successful. But his financial success is not part of the story that impresses me most. There are lots of rich people around, as you, as you know. What impresses me most about the story is that Stephen Scott says the principles that he's learned in the book of Proverbs not only helped him become successful, but they kept his life together. They kept his marriage together. They kept his friendship strong and his priorities straight. And the lessons he learned in Proverbs, as well as all of Scripture, kept him on target his entire life. Now, I'm not a millionaire, not by a long shot. But I can, I can also say that the principles that I have personally learned from the book of Proverbs, and especially the principles I have put into practice in my own life have guide, guided me well throughout the past 50 years. Now, it will be worth your while and your time if you devote at least reading a chapter or two a week of this very powerful and helpful book and applying then, more importantly, applying the principles therein and see if it does not make a big difference in your life. You see, the Bible is like our playbook, so to speak. Through the principles taught in scriptures, we were able to develop a game plan for life. And today I want to talk to you about direction. I don't know about you, but there have been times in my own life, in fact, too many times, when I felt like I was not going anywhere. I had a vague idea of what I wanted to do and where I wanted to be, but I just could not seem to find my way. Have you experienced that feeling of floundering, of struggling, of reeling? It is frustrating, isn't it? The text we'll look at today is especially helpful for those floundering and struggling in an area of your life. The text shows us four things that we need to focus on, four things that we need to master in order to make our lives what God intended them to be. Now, I could have called this message, How to be successful in everything you do. 
because the four steps that we'll talk about today really are essential to achieving any goal that you set yourself for yourself. And But then I could also have called this message what your life is like, why your life is like it is. Because your life will reflect what you do with the four elements of direction that we will be addressing today. Now, if you are in business, these four steps will help you be more effective in the work that you do that will help you move in the direction of success. And if you want to lose weight or if you want to be healthier than you are now, why well, these four steps will help you reach your goals. And if you want to strengthen your marriage, your relationships, if you want to be closer to God, if you want to become a better person, for example, these four steps will help you get there. The great thing about it is that the, these, uh, these are steps that you are already taking to some extent, at least, you know. But really today's message is about mastering these four essential elements or components of direction so that your life can become what God made it to be. So let us turn to Proverbs chapter 4, verses 23 to 27. And in these verses, Solomon points out four things that you need to do to master the course or the route that you must take in order to reach your destination. The first thing you need to do is this, verse 23. He says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart. The King James Version says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Now, what does he mean when he says, guard your heart? And he's talking about the part of you that defines you more than anything else. He is talking about the deepest part of who you are. What drives you? What motivates you? What do you really want from life? What do you really expect of yourself? That's the part that Solomon calls your heart. That is what he is telling you to guard. There's, some, there's a song recorded by Selena Gomez titled, The Heart Wants What It Wants. The song is about a young girl who is trapped in a miserable, dysfunctional relationship with an inconsiderate loser. And there is nothing she can do about it because she is so in love with him. She cannot bring him herself to do what is best for her. She says in the song, I am not alive until you call. And there's a million ways why I should give up on you. But the heart wants what it wants. Yuck. The heart wants what it wants. By the way, this quote goes back all the way to the prolific American poet, Emily Dickinson, and it has been repeated countless times since, usually to justify the bad choices we make. Have you ever used that excuse? A lot of people do. I can't help it. I just, you know, just how I feel, man. I can't change what I want. There's a toned-down version of that sang by Elvis Presley. For I can't help, 
falling in love. Yes, you can. <laughs> of course you can. Come on. But he's cute. He's talent. Cute talent won't bring bread to your table. Don't get me started on that, young people here. Goodness gracious. Take out a stat sheet before you fall in love. Yeah, but love is blind. Love is not blind. Love is what makes you see. Goodness gracious. Where was I, Romy? All right, guard your heart. If you've ever gotten yourself in a situation where you want something, you should not want something that is not good for you, and you can't bring yourself to want what you really should want, then you know what a mess life can become when your heart gets in the way. And that's why Solomon says from the very start, guard your heart, keep thy heart with all diligence. We will eventually, inevitably, and subconsciously move in the direction of that which we want the most. So you need to ask yourself, what do I really want to want more than anything else? The psalmist says, delight thyself in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of your heart. King James Version. Now, you can understand this promise to mean that not only will God, listen now, not only will God give you the good things your heart desires, he will also give you, your heart, the right kind of desires. May, let me repeat that. Not only will God give you the good things your heart desires, he will also give your heart, your heart, the right kind of desires. When you delight yourself in the Lord, your heart desires the right things, not the wrong things. Hear what I'm saying. In order to establish direction in life, you need to get it straight at the top of the list. What do I want most in life? What do I want in this particular situation or in this relationship? What do I really want my life to be about? In other words, what do I want to want more than anything else? For example, God, what I really want to want is to love my wife as Christ loves the church. And what I really want to want is to do my job with excellence in a way that you will glorif be glorified, you know? What I want to really want is to, be, to manage my money well, right? And what I really want to want is to be attentive and a loving father to my kids. In order to give yourself this edge of direction, we need to decide once and for all what we want to want more than anything else. And then we need to guard and protect and nurture that desire every step of the way because the heart determines the, the course of your life. Here's the second thing Solomon would say that we need to do in order to master the edge of direction. First he says, guard your heart. Say, guard your heart. All right, now fasten your seat belts because the second one is watch your mouth. Avoid, 24, avoid all perverse talk. Stay away from corrupt speech. Yes. 
You ready for this? The book of Proverbs has much to say about how we manage our words, boys. Your ability or inability to control your tongue will determine more than anything else the level of success you enjoy in your relationships. If you cannot seem to say the right thing and you constantly seem to say the wrong thing, you will find yourself someday all alone alienated from everyone in your life. Some people find it so easy sometimes, you know, to express themselves. They have no trouble at all saying what is on their mind. We usually refer to these people as, oh, man, they are brilliant conversationalists. Some of them can talk and talk and talk on and on and on and use countless words and never get around to saying anything at all. But we all know that there is more to speaking effectively than being able to string words together. There are, there are people who seem to have the ability to say things which seem vague, but in reality is meaningless. This sort of sums the way many people make conversation. Avoid all perverse talk. Stay away from corrupt speech. Now, he's not saying, just not saying that we should not cuss or tell off-color jokes. Of course, we should not, but he is really talking about more than that. He's talking about here, listen, refusing to say anything that diminishes the value of God's work in your life. Oh, man, this situation is not going anywhere because nothing works out for me. Listen, that's reverse talk. That's corrupt speech. Well, I guess I would just have to work the situation myself, you know, on my own without any help from God or anyone else. That's perverse talk. That's corrupt speech. When you ridicule, when you criticize, when you demean another person, that is perverse talk. That is corrupt speech. Are you there? When you talk on and on and on and on about your problems with no desire to explore solutions to the problems, when you fill your conversations with pessimism and self-pity, that's perverse talk. That's corrupt speech. We need to watch what we say because Jesus says what you say flows from what is in your heart. Luke 6, 45. And if you find yourself being critical and callous and condescending to those around you, you need to realize that it is not just a words problem with you. It is a heart problem. It is my observation that the heart and the mouth tend to reflect one another. The words of my mouth reflect the state of my heart. And at the same time, the heart tends to move toward what it hears the mouth say. This is why you can't talk defeat all the time and expect to experience victory. You can't talk about doubt all the time and expect to be brimming with faith. You can't talk about pessimism all the time and 
be expect to be filled with optimism, your words need to reflect what you want your life to be. Now, the book of Proverbs has more to say about our use of words than just about any other topic. The more you spend time in Proverbs, the more God will teach you about how to put words to good use. It is interesting to realize that 3,000 years ago, people talked themselves into the same kind of messes that we do today. Fools talked foolishness and they wreaked havoc with their lives. The wise spoke faith and wisdom and truth and experienced God's blessings. If you want to master the edge of direction, watch your mouth. And when all else fails, refer to Proverbs 10, 19. Too much talk. It's like a Chinese thing. Too much talk. Lead to sin. It's not Confucius say too much. No, it's the, it's the book of the Bible. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. I read, <laughs> I read <laughs> the other day, I read that the Ten Commandments contain 297 words. Psalm 23 has 118 words and the Lord's Prayer, 56 words, right? Yet, in a recent report, the Department of Agriculture of the U.S. of A. needed... 15,629 words to discuss the pricing of cabbage. <laughs> it is not the ability to use a lot of words that makes the difference, folks. It's being able to use the right words. We need to get into the habit of speaking carefully. Are you there? You need to consider saying nothing at all. You don't have to say everything you know. Have you ever been in a discussion with your friends over dinner and you're enjoying your dinner and the topic switches to Christian music and someone says, oh, my so-and-so is really my favorite, my absolute favorite singer. I'm so blessed whenever I hear him sing. Oh, man, it's so beautiful. Then the other person at the table says, oh, really? Well, did you know that your absolutely favorite singer is bulimic? He's been binging and purging since he was a teenager. Did you know that? He was in a 12-step group of Overeaters Anonymous. Now, she did not have to tell the group that. Besides, who likes to hear about binging and purging when you are trying to enjoy your steak? Or your ramen. This is the reason why those groups all have the name anonymous in the title. People's privacy should be respected, understand? More importantly, blabbing about that little bit of inside info did not build up the group, did it? Or bring glory to the name of Christ. Just because you know something about someone does not mean that you have to spill it. Even if it is true. I pause for a reply. <laughs> Thank you very much. 
It doesn't mean that you have to spread the news around. <coughs> that is perverse talk and that is corrupt speech. Thanks, Rooms. And here's another thing. <laughs> you don't have to say everything you think. Some people believe they know a little bit more about every subject under the sun, right? Better than anyone else. Oh, my goodness. And they believe it is their duty to wax eloquent whenever the chance presents itself. Whichever subject comes up in a conversation, man, whether the stock market, computers, criminal justice, politics, football, basketball, baseball, religion, they believe they have the first and final word in the matter. And, of course, they want to share it with you. You don't have to say anything and everything you think. Before you speak, keep this principle in mind. Silence <laughs> looks like knowledge. <laughs> Even if you don't know anything, just don't say anything. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So remember, <laughs> think first, <laughs> speak second. You might just avoid perverse talk and corrupt speech. And then you don't have to repeat everything you hear. The, pro the, pro the, problem, the problem with repeating gossip is that there is a better than even chance that what you heard is not completely true. And gossip tends to be embellished as it is passed from one person to another. The subject of gossip is one that we do not take seriously enough. We say things like, yeah, I'm going to visit my friend and catch up on the latest. <laughs> they don't want to say it. Gossip. My goodness, man. We say it like there's nothing wrong with that. Or to a certain extent. Catching up on gossip is just a figure of speech. I know that. But it is all too often, all too accurate of the way we make conversation, folks. We need to begin to take gossip seriously. Do you know what Proverbs says about gossips? Listen to this. A perverse man ooh, stirs dissension. And a gossip separates close friends. How many times has that happened? Proverbs 16, 28. Did it ever occur to you that when you talk about uh, bad about someone God considers your actions perverted. Now, it may seem hard to believe, but that is what the Bible says. And in my opinion, listen, in my opinion, the truer it is and the juicier it is, the more despicable it is to God when you repeat it. I pause for a reply. <laughs> <laughs> God, God, God would much rather that you keep quiet about it, man. Come on. Solomon says, he who covers an offense promotes love. But whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Proverbs 17, 9. 
Repeating everything you hear destroys friendships. Listen, I have much more to say about this gossip thing, but I think that we'll do for now. You can unfasten your seatbelts, by the way, because some of you are getting very uncomfortable. <clears throat> Here's a third thing. Fix your eyes. I don't mean, I don't mean have them repaired. I, I mean keep them focused where they should be focused. Solomon said, verse 25, look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. It is so tempting when you're struggling, when you're floundering, to keep your eyes focused on what's causing the problem, isn't it? To waste your time looking at all that is wrong and all that is not right. For example, if your goal is to have a God-honoring, spirit-filled marriage, listen, and you're not yet there, right? It is so tempting to keep your eyes focused on everything that is not good about him or about her <laughs> or about the relationship. If your goal is to grow in obedience in your walk with Jesus Christ and you're still and you're struggling with some besetting sin, it is so tempting to keep your eyes glued or fixed on your wretchedness. And if your goal is to develop financial stability and security for your family and you are scrambling to keep the lights on, it is so tempting to keep your eyes glued on the problem and not on God's promise of victory. As long as your eyes are fixed on the problem, you'll never be able to move in the direction of the solution to the problem. And so Solomon says, Look at where you're going, man. Look at where you want to be. Not where you are at this moment. And certainly don't look back at where you used to be. Look straight forward. Look straight ahead. In the book of Philippians, the apostle Paul said that he had not yet achieved the perfection that he, that he was after. And he said, Philippians 3, 14, 15, I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race. So when you, when you fix your eyes, or rather where you, where you fix your eyes becomes, becomes what your life, determines rather what your life becomes. Where you fix your eyes determines what your life becomes. And if you're dwelling in the, on the past, your life will be about nothing but the past. And if your eyes are always turned toward the problems that you're facing today, then you will forever be floundering and struggling <coughs> in neutral, <coughs> spinning your wheels and not getting anywhere. I'm so sorry. I'm making some of you thirsty. <coughs> But if you turn your attention to what lies ahead, and if you fix your eyes on where God is leading you, then your life will become what he meant it to be. So look to Jesus and fix your eyes on him. Amen? Amen. And he will keep you moving forward until you cross the finish line. And by fixing your eyes on him, you are fixing your eyes on what lies ahead of you. By fixing your eyes on him, you're fixing your eyes on where God wants you to go and where God is leading you, right? 
Like the song says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And now here's the fourth thing. Point your feet. Solomon said, 26, 27, mark out a straight path for your feet. And then he says, stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet following, feet from following evil. And a lot of the King James, when it states something like this, verse 26, ponder the path of your feet. Huh. In other words, think about where you're going. That's what he's saying. Think about the steps you're taking. And then map out a plan that will take you where you are going. For example, if you want to be closer to God, then mark out a path and then map out a plan to, for you to get there. You know, I'll begin every day with a moment of praise and worship and devotion. I'll read my Bible, spend time in prayer and Bible study before going off to work. I'll stop watching this show and that show, in particular, Walking Dead. <laughs> or the Kardashians, or the Real Wives of Orange County, or Night of the Living Dead, or CNN. Because, 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 because they are counterproductive to my spiritual growth, I will listen to worship music in the car. You know, I don't want to be distracted, da, 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 whatever. And that is what Solomon is talking about here. He's saying that you need to mark out a straight path for your feet. Wherever it, it is you want to go, he says, you need to create a plan to get you there and then start walking in that direction. I'm going to San Francisco. I'm not going to take five going south, would I? Take you to San Diego or to Mexico. Take five north. All right? And this is sometimes where, where we drop the, the ball. You, you, you can know what you really, really, really want, and you want it with all of your heart, and you can talk about it with words of faith and hope and optimism, and you can even lock your eyes on where God is directing you to go. But if you don't mark out the path, and map out a plan for you to get there. And if you don't start putting your feet in front of the other, you will never get there. You'll stay right where you are for the rest of your life, struggling and floundering. And sometimes the steps, you know, we're about to take seem so feeble and so puny that we have Still a lot of mileage to go. It feels like all of our puny efforts will never get us anywhere near the goal. And we're tempted to say, you know, what is the use, man? Forget it. I've been working out in the back lawn of our home. Ask my wife. Well, he's the one that's been bugging me. So I've been landscaping it my way, right? But there is a segment, there's a segment on the side of our house, a plot there, 
that is approximately, oh, 35, 40 feet long and about four and a half feet wide. So there I was looking at this thing, and so I'm trying, I'm marking out a path. What am I going to do now? Go this way, that way, curve a little bit, this, and so on and so forth. So I, I, I'm doing that. So I'm, I'm, I'm mapping out a plan. But I still didn't do it. So last Friday, finally, I had gathered enough courage and strength to start digging. My goal was to plant some sweet potatoes on this particular spot, Kamori tops, right? All right, for vegetable. And so I got the pitchfork and started digging. The ground was really hard. You know why? Because I haven't watered this, because last year we had this water shortage and so on and so forth. And so it was hard, so I started digging. And about a couple of feet after I've done that, I rested a little bit. <laughs> and I was looking and I still have 35 feet to go. <laughs> and I'm thinking, and my 75 going on 76 year old body is telling me, stop, you fool. <laughs> you know, don't do it. Don't do it. Look, you've got that much more to cover, you crazy old guy. Don't do it. Can't do it. Can't do it. Can't do it. What are you doing? What are you trying to prove anyway? What are you thinking? You'll regret this. You'll regret this. Your back. Your back. Your arms. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Oh, you're, you're, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Stop. Quit. Now. Don't we find it so tempting sometimes to focus on the distance that we still have to cover. We still have to navigate to get to our goal instead of looking at the progress that we are making. Isn't it, though? How far we have gone forward getting to our desired goal. And here is the use of trying. I can promise you that when you mark out your path, and when you begin moving toward that direction, God will meet you along the way. When you draw near to him, he will draw nigh to you. When you resist the devil, he flees from you. That's what James chapter 4, verse 7 and 8 says. So I urge you to map out a plan and mark out a path, all right? And start moving in God's direction, and he'll meet you along the way. Oh, by the way, I got the job done yesterday. And my body is paying for it. <laughs> but you know what? It was so fulfilling and so satisfying to see the work that I've accomplished. I finished it. The digging is done. Now, sweet potatoes, I am coming after you. Watch out. You have been warned. <laughs> oh, anyway, these... Four steps that Solomon outlines in Proverbs chapter 4 really can help you get what you want in life. In fact, I would go as far to say that you will never have that which matters most. I'm talking about fully realizing God's plan for your life. You will never have that which matters most until you are willing to master these four steps. 
Guard your heart. Say that. In other words, decide what you really want to want and move your heart in that direction. Turn to somebody and say, watch your mouth. I'm sorry. <laughs> abandon, ab abandon all perverse and corrupt speech, including criticism, gossip, doubt, defeat, pessimism, and self-pity. Replace it with words of hope, comfort, encouragement, and faith. It does not reflect what God wants to do in your life. If it doesn't, don't say it. All right, thank you. <laughs> then fix your eyes. Say that. Fix your eyes. Don't go to the ophthalmologist, all right? Fix, turn your eyes away from the past, okay? And all your problems, turn from them. Instead, turn your eyes toward Jesus. Fix your eyes on him and then focus on where he wants you to go. All right? Don't be distracted. And then point your feet. Say it. Map out a plan and then mark out a path. And then start putting one foot in front of the other, moving in the direction that God is leading you. Amen? And so today's message is not about getting what you want as much as it is about explaining what you get. This is why it could have been called why your life is like it is. Where you direct your heart, where you invest your words, and where you fix your eyes, and where you point your feet, these will all determine what your life becomes. I'm saying that if you and everyone else in the world follow these, these same steps, at least to some extent, some do it in a haphazard and inconsistent way, some do it with clarity and focus, I'm encouraging each one of us here today to focus on the direction that your life is taking. So, here it is. Your heart, your mouth, your eyes, your feet. Master these four elements of direction and your life will become all that God has promised it to be. Guaranteed. Let's all stand. <laughs> all right. Isn't the Bible great? Huh? Did it though? Go to, go to the book of Proverbs, man. Start reading it. And then not only reading it, but more importantly, start applying it in, in your life. Praise the Lord for that. Thank you for the word today, Lord. And we just commit these to you. And I pray that it would not have fallen on deaf ears, just one ear and out the other, but rather it would sink deep in their hearts. In Jesus' name, I thank you, and we give you a praise and glory. Everybody said amen. Okay, guys, go ahead. I'm done. Thank you for listening to audio from New Life Foursquare, located in Harbor City and Norwalk, California. Feel free to make copies of this audio to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or change the content in any way without permission. For more information, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org.